So this morning I'd like to explore the theme of listening. <laughs> so the short guided meditation at the beginning was to establish a thread. And I'd like to particularly invite you this morning in exploring the theme of listening, see if you can listen to the talk, perhaps in a way that you may not have listened before, which is to listen especially internally as you listen to the talk. To listen, one way is to be with one's body, to be uh, aware to some extent of your thoughts and your heart. I'll talk later about the way that in, that um, the ability to listen both internally and externally at the same time may be a way to manifest more fully this practice in daily life. How can we listen to ourselves as well as listen to another at the same time? It's not an, always an easy practice, but it points towards the ability not to be so as it were, taken away by external events or by comments to have some sense, oh, I'm here in this interaction and I'm becoming, mm, perhaps I'm becoming reactive or judgmental. And sometimes we don't know that until six hours later when it's too late in some sense. Uh, And so I would invite that quality of inner listening at the same time that there's external listening. And I will... Um, attempt to do the same. So I will also try to keep an inner presence at the same time that I'm speaking. And sometimes I say to myself, um, you know, being in the role of the speaker sometimes brings out one's best wisdom, hopefully. And I sometimes say to myself, you should listen to what that guy says. You could actually benefit some if you really applied some of what this person was saying. So so I I will attempt to listen also. So the theme of listening is a beautiful one. It's a powerful one for our practice. I want to talk a little bit generally about listening, talk about listening to ourselves, and then lastly talk about listening to others. The practice of listening could really unify our entire lives. It's a powerful metaphor for spiritual practice, for being authentic, for knowing what's important and living according to what's most important. In Tibetan Buddhist tradition, we sometimes see, and you may have seen uh, tankas or woodblocks of the great beloved poet and meditator Milarepa. He's often portrayed with his hand cupped to his ear, spending his whole life listening in the mountains. It's a very beautiful image. Or you may have heard of the Bodhisattva of Compassion, Kuan Yin. In China, she is said to listen to the cries of the world, listening as this training really in compassion. Or I was also thinking of um, the great American poet, uh, Walt Whitman, has this, uh, his major text is called Song of Myself and has these beautiful passages on, on listening. There is the, 
There's a beautiful uh, children's book which also brings out this quality of listening called The Other Way to Listen. And I wanted to read you some of it. It's actually a short book. I'll read about the first quarter, which is the first two pages in big print. (laughs) The Other Way to Listen. I used to know an old man who could walk by any cornfield and hear the corn singing. Teach me, I'd say, when we passed on by. I never said a word while he was listening. Just tell me how you learned to hear that corn. And he'd say, it takes a lot of practice. You can't be in a hurry. And I'd say, I have the time. He was so good at listening, once he heard wildflower seeds burst open, beginning to grow underground. That's hard to do. He said he was just lucky to have been by himself up there in the canyon after a rain. He said it was the quietest place he'd ever been, and he stayed there long enough to understand the quiet. I said, I bet you were surprised when you heard those seeds. But he said, no, I wasn't surprised at all. It seemed like the most natural thing in the world. He just smiled, remembering. The other way to listen. Probably available at your local bookstore. (laughs) The composer and musician Pauline Oliveros teaches what she calls deep listening. Thich Nhat Hanh also uses that phrase. Here's what she says. Deep listening is listening in every possible way to everything possible to hear no matter what one is doing. Such intense listening involves the sounds of daily life, of nature, of one's own thoughts, as well as musical sounds. Deep listening is a lifetime practice. Listen to everything all the time and remind yourself when you are not listening. So it really can be a kind of uh, practice that unifies our lives. And we would do very well if we just took for the next week the guidance, let me just listen. But of course, it's not so easy to listen. And we, we know that often things get in the way of listening, such as our minds, such as our thoughts, such as our repetitive patterns. And we have, you know, we, we, we know that sometimes we get in conversations and we may have the experience of thinking we're listening, but we're really rehearsing for what we'll say when the other person finishes and the other person may be doing the same thing. A larger percentage of life than we believe may occur in that way. And so uh, we know that listening is not so easy, that it's... uh, It's hard sometimes to listen. It's especially hard when we're hearing something that's difficult or when we have some anxiety or concern. And so we could think of the practice that we do here as a training in listening, that we learn how to listen to ourselves. We learn how to really come more closely to know all the different voices that are in ourselves, to hear the patterns of our minds, to know what's there 
And this, as we do this kind of practice and training, I think you'll find that you can listen better to yourself and also better to others. And it's one of the most important um, abilities, I think, that we can have as human beings. Sometimes it's said that what we most want as human beings is to be heard and to be cared for. And in some ways, they're, they're closely connected, aren't they? That to be really listened to carefully is a form of caring. And so the ability to listen goes very, very mm, deeply into our own process of maturation. So we can think of the practice that we do here as a kind of training in listening. We work, let's say, if we follow the four foundations of mindfulness, we learn how to listen to our bodies. Again, in our society, we often have tremendous pressure not to listen to our bodies. Do this, perform, get this done. Your body's telling you one thing, override it. And so listening to the body is central for for health. It's also central for really knowing ourselves. And so we, we might think of the guidance in the basic teachings of the Buddha, the four foundations of mindfulness, as a guidance in how to listen to the different parts of our experience. And so there's a distinction. We are asked to listen to our bodies. We're asked to listen to our hearts and our minds. We're asked to listen to the different patterns of our, of our experience, to really go carefully into the different voices that we hear. And we could interpret, again, our whole practice as this deep listening that starts to distinguish which of the voices that I hear in my own experience are helpful and which are not so helpful. Which am I conscious of? Which am I not conscious of? And as we listen more carefully, we start to hear that voice I should not listen to. (laughs) That is not so helpful. You know, that voice is maybe the voice of self-judgment. And we might know where it comes from. It might be the voice of fear. It might be the voice of a deep inspiration. And so this quality of listening helps us to know which is which. It helps us to hear them better. And I know for myself, um, it's become very important to be able to quiet things down so that I can actually hear more deeply. Whenever I have a major decision, like a, um, something that's come up that's very important, sometimes it's been a shift of work or some kind of shift or some sense of something wanting to come out or be expressed, I often take a day or two just to listen silently. It's in a way, and I think we have a special concern in our culture, that things get so noisy, don't they? That just to be able to listen to what's there, to listen for what's deeper, sometimes takes an act of intention to say, let me be quiet, let me take a retreat, let me be quiet for a day or two. And so that's been really for me, very important. And it has to do with the ability to listen to our deeper intentions, to listen for what's there, what, what, what wants to come out. 
It gets submerged sometimes when things get too noisy or too busy. And it's interesting that in the Western religious traditions, the notion of listening is very tied in the very language we use to the sense of touching deeper intentions or listening to deeper intentions. We have the notion of vocation. We have the note which is very much linked to the notion of hearing a calling. We have the notion of our life purpose as a calling. We have to listen for the calling. Vocation itself is linked with the word vox in Latin, which is the word for for voice. And so there's this sense of having to listen very deeply to know ourselves and to take the time that's, that's necessary. Carl Jung says, one who has vocation hears the voice of the inner person. The greatness and liberating effect of all genuine personality consists in this, that it subjects itself of free choice to its own vocation, that it submits to what this deeper voice is. And yet it's not very easy to do. It's not very easy to listen to ourselves. There are things that are hard. There are things that we want to override. And yet this practice that we do is really, uh, in many ways, a practice of listening. And as we get better at the practice of listening to ourselves, I think that we become better able to listen to others. We become able to be there without our minds going on so much to listen to others. And we give that that, uh, very powerful gift of being able to listen to others. In my own uh, work, I have found that listening, particularly when there's some difficulty or conflict, is one of the crucial qualities that is so central to good human relationships and it's actually central to the very act of peacemaking. If you listen to people who know something about peacemaking, they'll often point to how listening carefully is at the center of it. Thich Nhat Hanh says, listen, or the peacemaker listens to the suffering of one side and brings it to the other side. The other side normally can't hear the suffering of the opponent. And so the peacemaker brings the suffering of one side to the other so each side can listen carefully. And I know in my experience, it's, it's a discipline to listen because we have our agendas. About a week ago, I finished, uh, I, com- I was at the end of a retreat, which I had with the program that I direct called Socially Engaged Spirituality. And we were at a very difficult place in the program. There were some difficult questions. Some, sometimes there were, there were some interpersonal tensions. And what we did was we really took on the discipline to listen. And we didn't know how we were going to resolve the problem that was surfacing. And we listened and we took time. We had a, um, we had a particular content for our retreat, but we also wanted to recognize this unresolved issue. And so we took about an hour and a half every day just for listening openly and listening if there might be some resolution. At the end of four days, unexpectedly, something surfaced. And I think it was really due to the ability of people to hang in there and listen. 
which is really a very, very vital quality. I know that uh, when I was uh, chair of our faculty, which I was for two years, most of my work as I took it was actually people would come to, basically people would come to me and they would complain. And my job was to listen. And I would listen to them and let them in some way know that they had been heard. And usually my response was, I hear that you have a conflict with this person. My suggestion is that you both find a good time and listen carefully to each other and that you talk to this person. And I was paid for this. (laughs) That there's... uh, one of the great peacemakers of our time is Johann Galtung, who, who I've also studied with. Some of you know him. He was the founder of peace studies. And he said that the heart of peacemaking is to be able to listen. And he himself has gone into situations at one point he single-handedly resolved a 50-year conflict between the countries of Peru and Ecuador. He went down to their other... It's a, it's actually, he did it in about a few days. They had had these wars over this... Um, land that was on the boundaries and it was actually in the Andes uh, between Peru and Ecuador and they had had four wars between 1941 and 1995 and quite a few thousands of people had been killed and there was a certain at a certain point some of the younger um, military persons they were sick of it they were sick of the killing and sick of the dispute and someone had heard of Galtung who was, um, like I say, was a, he's a Norwegian man who presently lives in Japan, and he started the whole area of peace studies, in, like when he was 30 years old. And he was invited down there, and he listened carefully to both sides. And his notion is that listening brings out this powerful creativity in ourselves that lets us move away from rigid ideas and patterns and lets us listen to something deeper. And so he just listened for several days on either side. And part of what he thinks listening can do is listening can be bring out the creative resolution where none was heard at first. And he listened to them and it seemed like this land between the countries was not, it was in the mountains, not almost no one lived there. Luckily, it had no, there were no major natural resources. If there were, that might have been another issue, but there, there weren't. And so he had the idea and he went back and forth, let's set up a jointly administered national park. They all agreed and there's been no conflict since then. This was one person with an ability to listen, also some good ideas. And, and it's, he takes that, he teaches often, he, he works with an organization called Transcend, which you could find on the website, powerful uh, organization that works with conflicts around the world. And the key is, the key is listening. There's a, a woman, some of you may know, named Fran Peavy, and she went around the world. She put a sign on her chest that said, American willing to listen. <laughs> And she sat in the town square. <laughs> and all of it, she went through Asia, different countries. People were shocked. <laughs> I'm joking a little bit. Of course, you know, I'm sure they're, you know. Uh, but anyway, she did that. And she said she just listened. And she did this for a year. 
American willing to listen. And she listened for a year and she said it was very, it was very powerful. And this is what she said at the end of her project. She called it the listening project. My listening project is a kind of tuning up of my heart to the affairs of the world. I hear the news in a very different way now. And I act with a larger context in mind. I hold myself accountable to the people whose lives I have seen. I carry with me the pain of some of my partners in the world, but it does not weigh me down. Much of my life and environment have been designed to insulate me or isolate me from the pain. But I have come to see it as a kind of holy nectar. The more I drink, the more I can taste what is happening on this planet. So when we listen first to ourselves and then to others, we come, become familiar with the whole range of experiences. The Chinese talk about the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And when we listen, we start to be very familiar with that range. We become more and more familiar. When we're familiar with that range in ourselves, we're not so scared when we're with another person and the other person is afraid or even angry at us because we listened and we know what those energies are about. I think as we mature in our ability to listen, we become able to, in a way, listen both internally and externally at the same time. And again, to me, this is, a, this is an important training and we're going to be emphasizing it in that retreat on speech. How can I listen to myself and also listen to another? In a way, it brings together keeping my own autonomy and space with the ability to connect. It makes those two more of a unity. And so I would invite us to really consider that kind of training, to listen. First, I think we have to listen inside, then we listen outside, and then we start to bring them together to be able to listen inside as we listen outside. And then I think we're better equipped to know what to do. I want to end, and then we have a little bit of time for discussion. I want to end by mm, saying that I think what we listen to perhaps most deeply after we've developed those kind of listening skills is that in a way we listen for our deep vocation, our deep voice. And we, in a sense, we listen to the mystery. We listen to the deeper mystery of being alive, of being on this planet, of having consciousness. And that deep listening is really necessary to, to um, as it were, penetrate, to go deeper into the mystery. The German Czech poet, uh, or I should say the Czech poet who wrote in German, Rainer Maria Rilke said this, all creation holds its breath, listening within me, because to hear you, I keep silent. All creation holds its breath, listening within me, because to hear you, I keep silent. And so that points to the connection between the ability to be in silence and the ability to listen, to have some kind of inner silence so we can hear others. But to get there, we have to know ourselves very well. We have to listen to all the voices. We have to listen to all the loudness, the noise, the whole range of 
sounds, and really the whole range of experiences. I'll end with uh, a beautiful passage that some of you may remember from Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. At the end of the book, he, he again uses the sense of listening as a metaphor for listening to the mystery, for a kind of uh, deep engagement with life through listening. Because listening is not just passive, but I think as I was suggesting in the talking about peacemaking, listening can be a tremendous action. So it can be both receptive and active at the same time. So here is the way that uh, Rilke talks about listening. He's being guided. He's by the river. He's being guided by the boatman to listen more carefully. Listen better, whispers Vasudeva, who's the boatman. Siddhartha tried to listen better. The picture of his father, his own picture, the picture of his son all flowed into each other and all the moments of his life come before him. Siddhartha listened. He was now listening intently, completely absorbed, quite empty, taking in everything. He felt that he had now completely learned the art of listening. He had often heard all this before, all these numerous voices in the river, but today they sounded different. He could no longer distinguish the different voices, the merry voice from the weeping voice, the childish voice from the manly voice, They all belong to each other, the lament of those who yearn, the laughter of the wise, the cry of indignation and groan of the dying. They were all interwoven and interlocked, entwined in a thousand ways. And all the voices, all the goals, all the yearnings, all the sorrows, all the pleasures, all the good and the evil, all of them together was the world. All of them together was the stream of events, the music of life. When Siddhartha listened attentively to this river, to this song of a thousand voices, when he did not listen to the sorrow or laughter, when he did not bind his soul to any particular voice and absorb it in his self, but heard them all, the whole, the unity, then the great song of a thousand voices consisted of one word, Om, or the voice of perfection. So I'll end there with this... um, talk, which I could say is in praise of listening. So thank you. So we have a little time for listening to what might be there. Questions or reflections or comments, please. Is there such thing as a healthy attachment, like an attachment to exercising? You know what I mean? Is is that possible? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I think so. Uh, If I could tie it to listening, did everyone hear the question? It's... um, The Buddha actually talked about there being both, as it were, wholesome and unwholesome habits or ways to be and one can you know one can get quite attached to meditation it's probably better to be attached to meditation than to some other things we could name or to be attached to exercise in the long run the intention is to uh, develop as it were 
habits that are connected with health and well-being and self-knowledge, but also to see where there might be attachment, because in the long run, the attachments will lead to suffering. So we could say that, that the listening is really helpful for that. It might be, you know, if as a meditator, I have a self-image of being a great meditator or even just a meditator, and I, I can listen to myself talking to my family. Family are usually good to pick up on if you're attached to meditation, right? <laughs> uh, as are your friends, you can, can ask them. And, so we, and, and you can listen to yourself and to what extent am I trying to create a self-image or trying to, you know, solidify something. And then we can look at that. And I think in the long run, we can keep, as it were, the habits, the pattern, the, in, in this case, the exercise, but, but, not, but really look into the attachment. What's that about? And, and over time, both look into it and learn to let go. Uh, I can still do a lot of meditation, even if I'm not attached in certain ways. Or I can still exercise. You know, I, maybe it's like we do, we, many of us, I, I hope most of us, we brush our teeth regularly. <laughs> And in a sense, we just do it, right? How many people are attached to brushing your teeth? Okay. <laughs> but you get the idea, right? For many of us, it's just what we do. So, a great question. Thank you. Please. Um, are there any parallels that you'd like to draw between listening as you've described it and bear attention? Mm-hmm. Bear attention is, is probably the root of listening, I would say. That when we, when we, become medit- when we begin meditating, we learn how to... Mm, Listen in an unadorned way, or in what's called in the translation, in a, in a bare way that, that just is with the sensation, that just maybe is with the sound. I know for myself, in, when I first meditate, was first meditating, I loved to go and sit by creeks and just listen to the sound, or listen to the sounds of nature as a way of just being with the raw sensation, or listening to very simple music. And over time, it can be more complicated, but just listen to very simple sounds or music and stay with the sensation and notice when my mind took me away from that. So I think the training in bare attention is very much a training in listening. And it's, it's both a training in how to listen and it's a training of the thousand or ten thousand ways that it's hard to listen. Right? Because that's really... We may learn more in meditation about how it's hard to meditate. Have you, have you seen that? <laughs> we may learn more about how it's hard to meditate than about meditating. But on the way, we get become better meditators. So thank you. That's a very nice question. I'm just wondering if you could describe what you mean by a study retreat. By a study retreat? Mm-hmm. It's a retreat in which we would uh, not totally be in silence, but we would be um, maybe half or two-thirds in silence, and then there'd be some 
um, both talks and discussion of some fundamental teachings. So it's a study, not, and there'd be probably there'll probably be a few texts. So we'd actually be looking at the way that we might say uh, we might say that listening is aided by wisdom teachings. In other words, we try to more actively connect the silent listening, the meditation, to particular wisdom teachings and make and bring those into active um, partnership, as it were. Does that help? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, can you give us... Uh, Suggestions on how to listen when we're emotionally involved. Yeah. For example, with being fear, uh, yeah. fear-based or anger-based. Yeah. How to how to listen when there's um, let's say emotional intensity or or maybe I mean it's hardest um, maybe in interaction when there's an emotional tangle, as it were. So. <clears throat> The, the kind of practice that we do, just the silent sitting, is a fundamental training. Because there we learn to, in a way, we need to learn to listen better, often in a protected environment, before we bring it out into an un, a less protected environment. So that's why we could say that this setting here is almost like a training session where we learn to listen better. And some of us may have had those emotional torrents, we might say, happening right this morning, you know. And we learn a discipline of being able to be present to, you know, if there's, let's say, a lot of anger happening, to be able to be with the anger, feel it in the body. It's almost like we are invited to listen to the anger, if, if, that's, if that's the predominant emotion, to listen to it. And in my experience, before I really... Uh, investigated anger in a meditative way, I would say that I never really had listened to anger before. I would more acted it out. And so in a way we learn to listen to strong emotions and, and we do this in the protected environment of meditation, either in a group or by oneself. And we start to become familiar with it. We become familiar with how it is in the body, the different patterns, both uh, personal and more universal, the kind of energy that's in the heart, and I think as we become able to listen to it in the protected environment, we become better able to then have some degree of listening to others who have similar emotions or to ourselves in the midst of the situation. We at least have the idea it is possible not to get totally wrapped up, identified, and act out. Very crucial idea that, that we can... And we, you know, we just start, you know, the first step is often just to label it and say, there is anger happening, there is fear happening. Normally we don't do that. Normally what? We have the first stimulus that sort of lets, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the bells ring in the fire station. You know, and we just go, oh, time for anger. I'll do my anger. I'll do Donald's anger. Anger show. Okay, here goes. (laughs) It's kind of like a... A little bit like a Woody Allen style of uh, emotional release, but we do something. We do something like that, and so what we have to learn to do is to uh, see the patterns. We can do that a lot by looking individually, 
and as we do that, then we, I think this, this could be a whole talk, in fact, a whole many-day retreat, but then I think gradually we learn how to, in the midst of the situation, both see and listen more carefully to what's happening. So uh, we could actually, in the moment of becoming angry, let's say with another person, we can say, oh, I should listen some. And we can actually, oh, I'm pretty angry. You know, I can feel it in my body and so forth. And, you know, so it's very valuable. Uh, you know, for Again, I'm, I'm focusing on anger. It'd be a little bit different with other emotions. But if we were angry, it might be very good just to, to know that, to say that, and maybe to take uh, a time out. And just to say, let me listen or let me come back to balance or to know that I'm angry, I'm incapable of listening to the other person. And just to know that is very important. And then I could um, say, I can't listen now, but maybe I can take a break and maybe we can talk in an hour or maybe we can talk tomorrow about what we have to do. And so it's really becoming a student, a listener to one's own, pat- one's own patterns uh, then being able to do that with others and to have a, a lot of skillful supports for, for that kind of work, which might mean taking time out, naming it in the moment, uh, having some ways of acting, such as I'll say, when I'm really, really angry, I, I know that it's a good intention not to speak immediately. You know, so there, there's a lot we could say about that, but the listening quality I think it is very helpful to develop in the safe, protected environments where we have no pressure to act. That's where we can discover a lot of things and then gradually we bring that ability to listen into the midst of action. That's, that's harder. It takes a lot of training, but it's possible. So thanks for the good question. We could go a lot further with that one. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe the, um, is it time now? Yeah, we had we had one more here. Should we okay. should we take that and what would be brief? Okay. brief How do you listen to your body? Okay. How do you listen to your body? How do you listen to your body? Carefully. <laughs> okay, that was that was a little flip, but uh, let's see. How do we listen to our bodies? Um, It may be similar to how we work with emotions, and it really depends on where each of us are at. Uh, we may, it may be very helpful to actually focus on our bodies. When we, when we meditate and are, are just with our breath, in a way we're, we're becoming aware of our bodies. For a lot of us in this culture, because the culture is so, uh, as it were, mentally oriented, and it seems to be getting worse with the internet and so forth, that it's, it's really helpful to have, uh, to understand that, you know, for many, not all of us, but for many of us, when we sit and meditate, we just find a stream of thinking. And so for me, in my early period of meditation, it was about, oh, even though I had been an athlete for 10 years, when I was between the ages of 10 and 20, and I was very physical, but I wasn't aware of my body. One can be very physical and not aware of one's body. And so for me, beginning meditation, uh, and I also was doing Tai Chi at the same time, 
it was like a revelation. Oh, there I can be aware of my body. I can be present, you know, and it was it was powerful to actually just uh, do sit there, be with my breath, or to do walking meditation and feel my body. And so there are a lot of these techniques that we have which can help us to shift the attention from the predominant mental stream to the ability to be aware of our bodies. I think in the long run, what we're looking for is a kind of integration of mind and body and heart, to use those categories, so that we're able to be present to all of them and not have anyone dominate. But for many of us, it takes that specialized training and say, oh, I need to really have some attention to my body. So we can do it in meditation. We can do it in, in yoga or some physical discipline where we just try to be attentive to the body and ground more and more, see what's there. But you could do it in your meditation. You could say, let me just be present to my body for 30 minutes and feel what's there and see what's there and then watch where my mind goes and keep bringing it back. And so it's again, it's a deep subject. We could, uh, we could explore it a lot. I, I have a lot of fun with this one because I, I co-teach the meditation and yoga class on Fridays at Spirit Rock and we, we're exploring this issue week after week after week and it's, it's a beautiful one. You know, and and uh, any kind of physical discipline can really be helpful, but just walking. Just, I know, I'll, just, I'll end with this. When I was, uh, I was so excited when I first started meditating about, you know, sort of re-inhabiting my body. Well, I mean, great. <laughs> you know, that uh, I just really loved just doing walking. And so, I, 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 whenever I was walking, and I, at that time I was a student, I didn't have a car, and I was just, I would just walk everywhere, and I would say, oh, time for walking meditation. I can just listen to my body. You know, and it was, it was, uh, I, I loved it. It was, it was, it felt like something was really shifting, and I was learning something that was so fundamental, but that somehow I had not given attention before. So thank you. Thank you for your question. So I think we'll we'll end just with a very uh, just about a minute or so of quiet. And again, I'll remind you if you wanted to sign up with one of those email sheets, they're they're right near the door. And so just let whatever was helpful from the morning be present. If there was a helpful insight, which may or may not be related to to the theme of listening, maybe something to do with your life that that you had some understanding of. There was some helpful insight or learning, let that be present. And if there was a helpful intention, which is there now, an intention that may have come from the morning, let that also be present. Might be the intention to listen more in some part of one's life. So we end by <clears throat> remembering that we do this practice both for ourselves and for others, that developing listening in this, in this case is so helpful both for ourselves but also very much for others and for the larger world. And so may whatever has been fruitful from the morning, may we offer it to all those we meet and to the wider world of all beings. 
may it be helpful in benefiting all beings, in leading to further healing, freedom, and awakening to our true nature. <coughs>